Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. wonderful Friday night. It is I, William Powell, the answer to the question, the end, the beginning, and the middle, with no time to fiddle, the undisputed, undefeated, unconquerable host from the coast, the sage of the stage, a man you can trust. So you're down, do not adjust, but listen to and welcome to this episode of the Inside Acting Radio Show, brought to you by the king of DC Media. That's KDOC. Tonight's show is brought to you by DC Actors Examiner, where you'll find my exciting articles about the business of acting. You can find DC Actors Examiner by Googling DC Actors Examiner. My guest tonight is none other than Michael Doherty, who is directing the upcoming zombie film, Zcon. But first, let me share some announcements with you tonight. Actors, set builders, and stage managers, and all interested parties, yours truly, William Powell, is producing the stage play, Death by Design, a ridiculously hilarious British farce written by Rob Obernati, which takes place in the 1930s. The show runs from November 7th through the 23rd, and auditions are August 26th and 27th at 7 p.m. at Greenbelt Arts Center, 123 Center Way, Greenbelt, Maryland. That's 123 Center Way, Greenbelt, Maryland, Greenbelt Arts Center. And the date is August 26th and 27th at 7 p.m. Please send headshots and resumes to William400 at Yahoo.com. That's William400 at Yahoo.com, and it's the number 400. And the subject line, put DBD, that's for Death by Design, DBD. Actors, do you need headshots, websites, publicity? There's someone who can help. Blue Artist Agency does everything from photography, websites, even wedding photos. Why not? Contact them at www.blue-artist.com. 
Tell them it's fine acting sent you. www.blue-artist.com That's www.blue-artist.com Producers and directors out there, you have projects that need funding, right? How can your project get funded if no one knows about it? Reach thousands of listeners around the world. We've had folks call into this show from Japan. Yes, indeed. You can advertise on this show for as little as $15 a show. Advertise your Kickstarter or in the GoGo campaign. Right on these airwaves, folks, you can do that by contacting me at william400 at yahoo.com. That's william400 at yahoo.com. Or you can hit me up on Facebook. The handle there is william.t.powell. Let's turn our attention to our guest tonight, Michael Doherty, who is directing the zombie film Zcon about a 14-year-old boy and his friends who go to a comic book convention and face a zombie outbreak. Four kids in the wrong place at the wrong time. The remarkable thing about this film is the profits all go to charity. That's a wonderful thing, and Michael is a wonderful director. Let me bring him on in. Good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic. Blessed and highly favored. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. No, you're welcome. Now, I know you're building the Z-Con set up in Glen Burnie, and you need volunteers. How can people get involved? So uh, right now we're actually doing our lighting and camera tests. We still have some sets that we need to do. But if they're interested in helping out, they can go to our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com forward slash Zcon movie. That is Z C O N M O V I E, all one word. Uh, just drop a comment and leave some, a note that they wanted to help out and what they heard about it on the show, and we'll definitely bring them down. All right, that sounds like a plan. I, you, you, what did say? Many hands make light work. Absolutely. Just like <laughs> a child, it takes a it takes a village to make a movie. <laughs> Now, you recently had uh, auditions, uh, I think back June 29th. Uh, what roles, if any, did you cast out of that? Uh, we cast 80% of our, our characters from that. Um, we've, huh. we've gotten, I think we've got two or three that you know, we don't need them until the very end, so we're going to probably wait a little bit. But, yeah, we did. We got most of our casting done. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, how many people came out? Uh, we had about 70 come out, and we were we were kind of rocking them through. We did pretty much like 10 an hour for uh, seven hours straight. It was a marathon auditioning. Oh, impressive, impressive. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So um, who's handling your stunts for the film? Uh, we have this amazing uh, guys named Jeff Wilhelm and Daniel Mascarello. Uh, they're kind of tag-teaming doing the, uh, the stunt coordinating because I know that due to our – our schedule being an indie film and being kind of volunteer that they've got other projects and stuff that we've got to work around. So they're being awesome and kind of teaming that up together. <laughs> now I know my main man, uh, the master plan, Daniel Ross came on the show some weeks ago. He said he had a role. I think he plays like a spoiled bat or something. Uh, he does. He's got, a, 
he, he's got a pretty big role. So uh, the the reason the kids <laughs> go to the convention is that they want to interview a celebrity that's from their favorite TV show, uh, and they, they get blown off. So Daniel Ross kind of plays that celebrity, and I, I don't want to kind of spoil it because he has a big turn at the end. But uh, yeah, Daniel Daniel has a big impact in the movie, and he's an awesome talent to have around. I mean, he's I can't speak enough about the guy. He keeps things lively. He's really good with uh, the kids who are a little bit less experienced than he is and keeps them motivated enough. And i I, I got to tell you, if you're a producer listening to the show, Daniel Ross is a, is a talent that you want to hire. Hmm. Well, speaking of that, well, I think, I cannot promise, but I believe he is mm-hmm. on the line here. I do not have <laughs> name recognition here, but I'm going to bring him on in. So uh, I, I assume this is him, so let's see if it's him. Daniel Ross, tell us, Daniel Ross. Hello, Daniel. Okay, I guess not. I guess I uh, guess I was wrong. Okay, back to the interview, folks. Uh, so, who did your makeup and <laughs> who did their makeup and special effects for the film? So uh, we've got an amazing team led by Vince Calora, who's assisted by Michael Corant. Um, Vince is out of New York. Mike's out of of here in Baltimore. And then between the two of them, we've got a team of anywhere given from five to twenty on the day. That's pretty good. That's pretty Thank good. You. Now you've uh, you have a background in marketing in your day job. So what's the key to effective crowdfunding? Because I know you did an excellent job uh, raising money. Thank you, man. Um, well, the key to effective crowdfunding is pre pre planning. Um, my rule of thumb is that you it's it's kind of like broken into thirties. So you do thirty, thirty, thirty. For every thirty days of crowdfunding you want to do, you want to do thirty days of planning ahead of time. And what that means is that you want to make sure your perks are good, you want to make sure your video is recorded, um, and your biggest thing is just telling the people who already support you that you're doing a crowdfunding. Um, for for your however long you're doing crowdfunding, then you can't be shy. Like you you got to be in people's face because they need to see how passionate you are because they want to get passionate about being involved. Um, your first 30% and your first week of your campaign need to be people you know. Because there's um, a really good guy named John Tregonis who works for Indiegogo, who's a, he's a good friend of mine and somebody I really value his, his advice. Uh, he turned me on to this thing called the green bar effect. And what that is mm-hmm. is when people come to your campaign, they don't look at how much money you're raising. They're looking at how far that little green bar is actually moved. And if at the end of the, if at the end of the first yeah. week it's not very far, they're going to they're gonna get turned off a little bit. Um, but if you can get friends and family in there to get 30%, I mean, we're not talking a lot. We're talking 30%. To come in early and kind of have a big start to your campaign, it'll have a huge impact at the end. Yeah, you know, that sounds like, uh, what is it, social proof? I mean, the more you have, the more you get, the more people are on the bandwagon, the more people just on the bandwagon. You know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, people, the rich get richer, and if they see that you already have something on the ball, they're more likely to – people love winners, and they'll jump on the bandwagon for somebody who's already – looks like it's going to be successful. I mean, who wants to, to sink money into something, and then it looks like it's – nobody wants to be associated with a loser. So I, I think that's, that's true. It's this green bar effect. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, there is. Um, I, I got to tell you, I've run three successful crowdfunding campaigns. I've done it on both Indiegogo and, and Kickstarter, and – it's it's the same across both platforms. People could care less about how much you're raising. They care more about what that number, that green bar is doing. And if at the end of your first week it hasn't really moved a whole lot, they're going to move on. I mean, you're you're competing. I mean, this is what crowdfunding is. 
Crowdfunding is competing with everybody else in the same platform and on different platforms trying to get their movie or their film or their soundtrack or their whatever made. So you've got to kind of stand out. Like what you have to do is, is get them caring about what you're doing, get them passionate about what you're doing. Like if, they, if you're not passionate and your video and your content doesn't show it, they're, they're not going to care either, man. And ultimately what you have to remember is um, crowdfunding doesn't end at the end of your crowdfunding campaign. You still have to keep people engaged, tell them what's going on, you fulfill your rewards, keep them updated. You're like For me, I try to keep everybody updated every three weeks to, uh, to a month even on campaign that's over a year old, because those people are going to be the people that come back next year when I have to do something else. So it's just all about keeping people informed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so look like we have a caller, uh, Andrea from Fairfax. Hey, Andrea. Hello. 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 <laughs> how, are, how are you? Pretty good. Thanks for calling in. you have a question? I do. I was going to ask, um, in the morning, you know, on the weekends when you guys are getting everything set up now, um, what gets you fired up for the day? What get, what keeps you motivated? Uh, what keeps me motivated? Uh, two things keep me motivated. One, first thing that keeps me motivated is the fact that we've got an amazing crew of people. Um, so it's it's I get really motivated by the people that are involved. Uh, it's it's not a solitary thing. So the more that they're here, the more they're excited. I kind of feel like it's op- my obligation to show up and, and kind of stay positive. The other thing that keeps me motivated is, like, I like being the guy that if you tell me it can't be done, I'm going to show you six ways it can. Because I don't think things are impossible. I think if things are completely possible. It's just the amount of effort that you're willing to put out to get to it. Right, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Andre, do you have another question? Um, are you guys still on schedule for um, completing everything this summer? We are actually right now three days behind schedule. Um, things come up when you're doing a film. Equipment doesn't show up on time. Things kind of uh, adjust. I'm, we're going to completely be done, hopefully, by the time that I had scheduled us for. But it just means we're going to have a lot of long days between now and then. So what we're doing tonight while I'm on this call is in the other room, I've got uh, Pal Beal, who's our DP, who's worked on things from, like, Incredible Hawk to I Am Legend, uh, running our kids through lighting and in their wardrobe so we can get a test of that. So the, the idea is just trying to keep the machine moving forward as much as possible, even when you're behind, to try to make up time. Right. That's good. Yeah, it sounds, like, sounds like you've got a, a good operation there and you've got everything in check. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Andre. Well, thanks for calling the program. Thank you so much. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Okay. So uh, now, Michael, I was wondering, now, why is it that you decided to go with Z-Con, I mean, uh, why not Z-Con for vampires? Um, well, because three things. Can most conventions start out during the daytime, so that won't work for a vampire. Uh, two, vampires work better in, in... I like my vampires scary. I don't like my vampires sparkly or romantic. I like them kind of just... I like them scarier. Like, they should be something that you're afraid of. Um... And lately, vampires have not been as scary. Uh, and then the biggest reason is that when I was 
doing promotion for Brown Coats Redemption. I was doing two conventions a month from February to November all around the United States between 2009 to 2011. And what I noticed is that the growing awareness and an appreciation for zombies is just insane. Like 2008, people would keep a really, really wide berth of everybody. You know, there was very few people cosplaying zombies. There's very few people cosplaying Silent Hill. But over the, like, as the years went on, more and more people got accepted by it. And uh, you, just, you just see people getting more and more comfortable with that kind of level of cosplay. And then I wondered, what if an actual zombie actually went to a convention? What would happen? How long would it take for people to notice? Um, the other thing that I, I did is I realized I got con crud. And if you've never had it, what con crud is, is when you go to a convention and 2,000 people all touch the same doorknob, and one of the jackasses forgot to actually wipe his hands off when he sneezed. So he gives everybody the flu. And Concred comes on really, really quick, and it's really, really strong. And it's gone within, like, so many few hours. But it sucks during that time. <laughs> so those, those two ideas kind of met. Like, what if Concred turns you into zombie? And then what? how long would it take for people in today's culture that are completely desensitized by you know, zombies, thanks to things like The Walking Dead and Warm Bodies, how long would they realize, take to realize there's an actual zombie standing right next to them? And then that's where he comes <laughs> Wow, I love that. I love that idea. Wow. Thank you. How did you come to the decision to make movies for charity and not for profit? Uh, completely by accident, sir. It's completely by accident. So, uh, 2008, uh, this guy, Steve Fisher and I, who is my co-creator and co-producer on Brown Coats, um, we were talking in Starbucks and we were huge Firefly fans. I watched it when it was on TV and, uh, missed it. And we're like, there's, there's content that's missing that we, somebody needs to create. And then I don't know whether it was he or I, but one of us is like, well, why don't we just do it? Actually, I do know he did it. He brought me an idea and then we just kind of refined it and ran um, but then because it's derivative works project and it's a fan film, you can't really make money off of it. But mm. we did this before Kickstarter and it was before Indiegogo was big. So we had to figure out a way to be able to pay people back who put money in. Um, cause it's going to take money to make something that's a huge spaceship. So what we did is contacted 20th Century Fox. We contacted Joss Whedon at Mutant Enemy. We, we dotted yeah. our I's and crossed our T's and permission that as long as the proceeds went to charity and at the end of the day, um, the balance was zero, that we fit within the world of being allowed to make fan films because we're not making a profit. So that's, that's kind right. of how that got started. Um, and then what I saw was just how much, A, it meant to somebody because we're asking people nowadays to spend anywhere from 15 to $20 to go to the movies. And we're asking them to spend 15 to $20 on a DVD, something they'll probably watch once or twice and then come back around once a year when they're not feeling well or feeling nostalgic. But that money doesn't have any kind of an emotional hook to it. But I noticed with brown coats, people felt really, really good because they not only gave to charity, they could see what the money, you know, Denise at Kids Need to Read was really clear about where the money went and all the other charities were pretty upfront about what was going on and people started to feel really, really good. And I like the idea of that $20 actually meaning something more than just a movie experience. Absolutely. So what are some of the lessons you learned from uh, Brown Coat Redemption as far as things to do, things that went well and things that didn't go so well? 
uh, things that went well. You, you need to never, never be afraid to ask. The answer is only no when they tell you no. Um, so we had the good fortune of having Adam Baldwin do a cameo and Michael Fairman do a cameo because we asked. You know, it, it wasn't – we could have sat around and waited and, and hoped that maybe they would say yes, but we just asked them and they were on board. Um, so always, always, always give yourself the opportunity to ask for anything you need, whether it's asking a celebrity or getting equipment. Uh, like I've never shot a movie on anything less than a red one. And that's just because we asked for one. Um, so that's the biggest. The, the biggest thing that I learned that's a negative is I didn't know what I was doing when I first started Brown Coat. Um, I learned, fortunately, we live in an age today where everything you need to know that's on a college level of film, you can find online. Um, there's amazing web series like Film Riot that will teach you everything from like camera setup to effects. There's books. There's... There's so much of a resource right now that if you want to do anything, there's nothing stopping you. So um, the thing I learned the most that was negative was just not knowing enough ahead of time. I should have just stopped and paid attention, but honestly, I learned really better. I learned better by the seat of my pants instead of, I like making mistakes. Um, a friend of mine said she gave me the quote, and I, I can't find it anymore, but it was essentially like there are leaders that you know, kind of point out the minefields, then there are leaders that walk across them and come back and tell everybody where the minefields are. And I like being the latter. Right. I, like being, I like being the guy that goes out and gets dirty and comes back and says, this is how you could do it. Um, but that, yeah. also comes with, that also comes with making a lot of mistakes and pissing a few people off and keep making a few people happy. So um, the, the other thing that I learned... The, the most important thing, and, and this is kind of, you could find this message anywhere, I think Jim Carrey recently said it um, in his talk, but if you're going to do anything with your life, do something that you're passionate about. Do something that you care about. Like, whether, like find that thing that makes you happy and just go after it, because once you find it, it, there's nothing that's going to be equal or parallel. And to not continue to pursue it is just ridiculous. Yeah, and I like what you said about walking across the minefield. It's like Napoleon, just Napoleon Bonaparte, just lead from the front. You know, you, you know, you can't ask somebody else to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, if you come to my set, you're not going to see me sitting in the back corner telling other people what to do. Um, I actually have to have my AD tell me, okay, look, you need to sit down, you need to drink water, because I will. Yeah. Today, right alongside my crew, I, I set up displays, I put up tables, we carry the dolly. Like, I get my hands dirty. I will not ask anybody to do something I would not do myself. That even goes for, like, cleaning the bathrooms and taking the trash out. Right. And I think what that does is two things. That shows your people that you're willing to do as much as they are, but it also just shows that you're willing to lead and do, like, anything to get it done, and that inspires people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you thought about how much you expect to raise with Zcon? Uh, what I'd like to do at the very least is match what we did with Brown Coats. And what we did with Brown Coats was pay all of our investors back, plus we raised $117,000 for charity in a year. Now, the difference between Brown Coats and Zcon is, is kind of huge. Uh, Brown Coats wasn't ours. We didn't own it. We were only allowed to do DVD or, or Blu-ray, which means we only had two points of sale which was in person or online. 
Um, and those were great, but they were really, 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 really limited. So on Zcon, we can do video on demand. We could do theatrical releases. We could, like, but the sky's the limit. Anywhere that I'll have us, like, I, I joke around with my friends. I will go to the opening of an envelope if it means I can promote Zcon. So <laughs> it, it's, uh, I, I think we're at least going, at the very, very least, we're going to match it. Um, the nice thing is, is that this is going to lend itself to so many different people. It's not stuck in one genre. It's not just a zombie movie. It's a love letter to people that like going to conventions. There's, there's so many. If you've gone to conventions a lot and it's something you enjoy doing, there's, there's so much in there for you to kind of pay attention to. If you've never gone to a convention, it's going to give you a snapshot of what it looks like to actually go to one written and, and put on by people that actually go to these things. Because the one thing I hate is when Hollywood tries to portray something that they have no experience in whatsoever, and it just kind of mm -hmm. feels fake and flat. So, you know, it's uh, one of my AD said it. it. It's a movie written by nerds for nerds. So that's, <laughs> that's what I really want to hope for. I mean, the biggest thing for this, for age-wise, is that we're going for PG-13. So kind of like the Hunger Games, all the violence kind of happens off screen. Um, I'm a right. huge fan. Of, I'm a huge fan of Hitchcock, and his big thing was like, your mind can create images far worse than anything I could put on screen. So I could give right. you just enough, just enough to get your mind going, and your brain is going to create stuff going on off camera that's far worse than anything I could spend on effects wise to do. Right. But I also, yeah. but I also yeah. want like you know the ten year old who wants to see a zombie movie and the mom that wants to see a zombie movie with the ten year old have something that they're okay to watch together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what I like about this film. So now the world on the street, man, is uh, you put on something called Zombie Gross? Zombie Gross? What, what was that all about? Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's the Japanese Muse Entertainment Museum. Um, that's Andy and those guys over there every year put on Zombie Gras, which is it's just like Mardi Gras. You come to Japanese Comic Museum, you get dressed up in your favorite zombie outfit and, or, you know, there's people like us or, or Cinefx that uh, will we'll put you in zombie makeup and you have fun. And then for the people that are over 21, there's a bar crawl. So you can kind of shuffle from <laughs> bar to bar in Baltimore as a zombie. And if you're under 21, there's stuff for you to do. There's like costume contests and, and photos. And it's, it's just really, really fun. Andy and those guys at Chepis do a really, really good job of putting that on. Yeah, yeah. Now, you got to tell me, what's going on with the WTOP Click for a Cause contest? Uh, that, I think, is over. <laughs> but uh, we got included in the WTOP Click for a Cause contest, which it's, it sounds great, but it's really, really challenging because it's a bunch of nonprofits competing for clicks, and the more clicks, the person with the more clicks is going to win. Um, we're still a very small nonprofit organization. We have... Uh, or three people on our board. We have a bunch, a handful of volunteers, a couple hundred people who support us. But you know, when you're doing something like that and you're going head to head with the American Red Cross, who has millions of people all over the world, you're not going to yeah. succeed. But the best thing that you could do is maybe get your name in front of people who've never heard of you before. Hmm. You know, I, I have to ask you now: Were there buckets of blood like the movie Carrie at the zombie prom? Uh, at, at Zombie Prom, there might be. We're doing uh, Zombie Prom at Dragon Con. 
Uh, we, we initially scheduled one for here in Baltimore, but uh, we had to reschedule for a couple of reasons. But we're going to try to bring it back around Baltimore Comic Con. But at, at uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia this year, we're, we're doing one, and there may be buckets of blood. There may not be buckets of blood. I'm not going to tell you. So you got to show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very good, very good. So what kind of Z-Con merchandise is available out there? Uh, coming up at the end of this week, we'll have T-shirts. We'll have Z-Con shirts, shot glasses, hoodies. Uh, we've got... The convention that we've set up for the, the movie is called Charm City Genre Con, which is a fake convention, but we can, you can get T-shirts for that. And you could all grab that at uh, zconmovie.com. And we'll start posting teasers for those items up on the, the Facebook page before we do anything else. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you go to a lot of cons. So have you ever been to the granddaddy of them all, uh, the one out in L.A.? San Diego Comic Con? Yeah, San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. I, I have had the dubious honor of actually presenting uh, at San Diego Comic Con. So that is, I've done San Diego, I've done New York, I've done Emerald City Comic Con, I've done Baltimore Comic Con, I've done Atlanta, Georgia's Dragon Con. Um, I've done them all. And I, I think uh, each one has its own little flavor. Each one has its own kind of style. But... If if you get the opportunity, it's a it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to San Diego Comic Con. Hmm. Okay. I hear that uh they, I mean they sell out within minutes and it's like it's almost a, it's real hard to get into those things. That particular way on uh out San Diego because they sell so fast. Oh, it can be. Um I mean honestly it's it's got it's a challenge to get in there. Uh, if you can, if you're pressed, you have a greater chance of getting in there than like the average Joe. But um, yeah. it's it's one of those things like if you know somebody, if you know somebody that works there, if you have like a company that you support, volunteer at their booth because you mm-hmm. know pay, you pay for your own way. You get to work the booth and then get to walk the floor a little bit. That would be mm-hmm. the best and easiest way that I would recommend somebody go to San Diego because it gives you a greater experience than just like being one of the mob. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, you talked a little bit about uh, Hitchcock earlier. What other directors have inspired you? Uh, I've got my top five. Hitchcock is definitely at number one. Um, Robert Rodriguez is number two. Kevin Smith Mm -hmm. is number three. Joss Whedon is number four. And uh, Mr. James Cameron takes up the fifth position. But they're they're all my favorites for different reasons. Like, I love Hitchcock because... He could just step into any genre, and he did it before anybody else. Like, back in Hitchcock's day, it was kind of like you you would sin to go from doing spy thriller to doing a horror like Psycho, and they thought that it was going to be a failure. Um, but he took challenges, and he, you know, he was an old dude. He wasn't a young guy running around. He was in his 60s making movies, and, like, we think today you have to be in your 20s and young and hustle, but... This guy was doing it all in, the, in his 60s, having some of the best movies of the time at, at that age. Um, yeah. I, like Robert, I love Robert Rodriguez because he does everything. He runs camera, runs lighting, runs, like, writes, directs, edits. Like, he does it all, and I, I really, really respect him from that because uh, he kind of started like any other filmmaker. He just made a movie and just kept going. Um, the same thing for Kevin Smith. I, like, I really just love his stuff, and I, I love his kind of chutzpah, like his... His, he, as he says, he's like really big at being P.T. Barnum and promoting himself. Like if there's anybody that you as a, as a 
if you're shy or awkward or, or having a hard time promoting yourself, just pay attention to what Kevin Smith does and emulate it. It'll it'll get you pretty far. Um, Joss Whedon, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Joss Whedon, of course, because like you know he's Buffy and Firefly, and he's just he's a really good storyteller that knows how to to bring an ensemble cast, which is extremely difficult, together, and make you care about each single one, every single one of them. And then uh, the last one, but definitely not least, would be James Cameron, because just the man's a technician, and he's an innovator, and I really, really respect that. Yeah, but I don't have oh. I don't have any I don't have any opinions on these guys at all. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, maybe you have an opinion on your three favorite actors in Hollywood. Uh, three favorite actors in Hollywood. Let's see. Like, who would I cast, or, or who just who do I, who I would Yeah, who would you cast? Um, man, I would, I honestly, I would love to do Johnny Depp in anything. Uh, he's he's awesome. Uh, are we sticking to just male actors, or are we doing male and female? Male and female. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, that's, now let's just open it up. Just kick the doors wide open on me. Uh this is going to sound really, really kind of because she's an it girl, but I think Jennifer Lawrence has got a big career ahead of her. Um, I do too. I, yeah, yeah. American Hustle. She was awesome. She was. She was. She was awesome in American fight. Hustle. Um, and That's and then fine. probably Bradley Cooper is my is my last one because the dude can do anything. He could do straight up serious. He could do comedy. Like I, I've seen the man do so much that I would really, really kind of. Those are the three that I would love to work with at some point in my career. That's a hell of a list. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's an amazing list of people. What's your What do you think are the three best comic book movies ever made? <laughs> uh, ever made? Are we talking? Uh, let's see. That's okay, a tough last, one. okay. I say last circa nineteen seventy eight when Superman, the first Superman, came out. So the last thirty five years. Thirty five right. years. Um, I have to go with Superman number one because it was it's Christopher Reeves and it's kind of Superman at its best and if you take it for that was there they were pushing special effects to their limits back then um, and, and not look at it with today's modern eye it was a really good movie um, I think it, aside from the really bad prosthetics on Jack Nicholson uh, the, the Tim Burton Mike Keaton Batman was pretty close um, I do, and this is going to sound really hokey, but I do love the director's edition version of Daredevil, not the theatrical release. Hmm. Um, Why is it? I, it? It's just a better story. It's, it feels more like Daredevil than a Hollywood movie. Um, hmm. I think Losers did really, really well, the one that had Chris Evans and those guys. It was a Vertigo comic, and they pretty much nailed the comic and the feel. Uh, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and then... Uh, let's see. I, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but I think Amazing Spider-Man was pretty close. It was the first time we actually have Spidey mouthing off while he's he's in the costume. And what yeah. that movie showed for me is the something I loved about the comics is because when Peter Parker's Peter Parker, he's like shy and awkward and kind of bumbling, but the minute he puts the mask on, like he's just completely confident and won't shut up. And I think yeah. they showed. I think Amazing Spider-Man showed it really, really well. So those are those are my four or five. Okay. So did it. Okay. Uh, Watchmen or Kick-Ass? Which is better? 
The comic or the movie? The movies. Um, man, if you're oh, if you're killing me here because Watchmen <laughs> is cinematically cinematically Watchmen is beautiful, but I I love Kick-Ass straight because that that is with a couple changes, pretty much a one-to-one adaption, and it kept every bit of the humor, and they weren't afraid to go there. I think Watchmen played a little bit safe, but you know I I, I got to give it to Kick-Ass. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It's very, very good movie. Very good movie. Matter of fact, I had on the show uh, a couple of years ago, Stu Large Riley, the big uh, bodyguard character. Uh, he's on the show back uh, last year, as a matter of fact. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's say Michael Doherty gets in an accident, and he is. Loses most of his limbs, and he has a opportunity to be rebuilt as either Darth Vader or RoboCop. Which which one would you choose? Do I get the force powers that come with Darth Vader? Uh, or am I just a robotic no. guy? Then, I, the then robot. you gotta go Robo. You gotta go RoboCop because then I can have the gun pop out of my leg. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, but you'd have a saber. You have a, you wouldn't have you you would you could have a saber, but not not the force powers though. Okay, but I'm still I think I'd still give it to RoboCop because like with a saber <laughs> with a saber you're only effective within the arm's reach of that saber, but with a gun I can shoot you from across the room. Unless you got no, the force that's powers. A, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, like, no yeah, I mean, unless, unless you're giving me force powers where I could take the gun from across the room and then you'd do it with a favor. Yeah, it's it's you're, it's kind of like you're bringing a knife to a gunfight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, since we're on the subject of Star Wars, what, as a director, what do you think was the... I guess the malaise, the 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 thing that this wasn't right with the prequels. Um, with to 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 be honest, I think the fact that they went mostly CGI. Um, what I as, as somebody who grew up on Star Wars, who had the toys, who's gone to see the movies, like I had all the high hopes for episodes one through three. But what really really made me love Star Wars was it felt real. Like everything down to as even as silly as Yoda looks now as a puppet, like it was practical. And there's something that CGI cannot replicate yet about yeah. a real world. You know, like like if they did Dagobah then for the way they did the prequels, like I would I would be crushed. But like to actually see an X-Wing pop out of the water and it's just like you believe that Luke is actually capable of these things because you're seeing these things. But like the CGI of episodes one through three just really, really killed it for me. And it really, like I can, I can get over Jar Jar because Jar Jar was meant for kids, but like the CGI killed it. They, I think they took too long on Vader's story. I think you could have started Episode one with him, three would for me would have been episode one, because everybody yeah. wants Vader. You know, like they took they completely, and this is going to sound harsh. I don't know if, how old your listeners are, but they castrated Darth Vader for me. When you realize yeah. castrate that Darth Vader is just this angsty teenage kid who thinks his girlfriend's dead, mm. like 
everything that was scary about Darth Vader goes away. Like if you yeah. could have just started, if you could have started Looking episode secure. one, what's that? You seem came off as insecure. Yeah. And, yeah, and rather like, badass. You you gave us three movies, but only thirty seconds of Darth Vader, and like, what the hell? I would have yeah, I would have I would have loved to see Order sixty six be its own movie, like Darth Vader literally taking out Jedi's left and right, and then the third movie is the he's just now alone in his world. But you know, I don't know, man. Like Topher Grace did a really good job of mashing them all up into one good cohesive movie. If you get a chance to find it, find it. Um, but for for me, the, the biggest sin of the first three movies was taking away the practicality of everything and, and taking away the, the practical, real-world applications of, of real effects instead of CGI. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that and the storyline. Why is Walking Dead so popular? Uh... Are you asking me the director of a zombie movie, or are you asking me somebody who's, who's read the comics? I would say who someone who has read the comics. Um, I think because it's it's a compelling story. It's a drama. It's people stuck in that situation. I mean, we all fantasize of what we would do in a zombie apocalypse, but this yeah. is a show about what's really going on. And I think what's really captured people is that Every, like, Resident Evil paints this world where everybody's just constantly fighting zombies and they're constantly doing battle. And what The Walking Dead does is they say, look, real life still goes on. You still have to get food and you still have to take care of a baby and you still have to figure out how to get along with each other. And there's a human element to it. I mean, of course, everybody loves Daryl Dixon. But from from a storytelling point of view, it's it's why we love Romero movies. It's because it's about the people that are in the movie more than the zombies. Like, the zombies are actually scary because you don't know when they're coming. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not a huge fan of that particular show, but and I have not read the comic, but it just seems like a very, very, very bleak show. I mean, it's like, my goodness, I, I hate to live in that world. I go crazy. Well, it's, it, it may be a bleak world, but they show moments of happiness. There's still mm-hmm. moments of joy and connected. I mean, what they do really, really, they do really, really well is, is get you emotionally invested into somebody, even just a secondary character. That way, when they die, you're, like, heartbroken. I mean, here mm-hmm. you have people creating T-shirts that, like, if Daryl Dixon dies, we riot. And this is just, he was not meant to live past the first season. Mm-hmm. So they, they do a really, really good job of, of getting you to care about the characters. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really the uh, the key. I mean, I, I think, especially as I get older and I watch movies and TV shows, to me it's all about the, the characterization. The characterization, yeah. I think. I think it makes all the difference in the world. I agree. It's the backbone of a good story. It's why Avengers worked. It's why The Walking Dead works. It's why anything that's good works is that there you've got to have some heart in those characters. Right, right. And so uh, on that subject, um, what's your your approach to writing? What are you What are you trying to What are some of the, the things you try to bring to your writing and some of the themes? Um, 
the biggest thing that I bring to my writing for me is dialogue is the most important thing. Um, I really okay. think I think really really good dialogue will will set the tone of the movie more than like big actiony kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. For for me, I try to find I I, I pick my characters and I, I kind of let them live before I put them on the paper a little bit and. Sometimes it's kind of like, well, who would I put in? Like, maybe I cast the role in my head as somebody I knew, or an mm-hmm. actor that I'd like to work with. Like, uh, you know, for for this one, like each one of these kids represents some part of me being a teenager. Like, you have the mouthy sixteen-year-old mm-hmm. who doesn't know what boundaries are, and you have the nerdy, shy kid. And you, you know, they're they're all elements of myself that I recognize in in being a teen. Um. So for me, when I when I start writing, I try to figure out stories that are going to be first about the people and last about the situations that they get set up into. Yeah, absolutely. And now that I think of it, we have not talked about your leads in the film. Yeah, your five leads. Talk about them a little bit. Oh, uh, you have Noah Chayette, uh Noah Summer. Or Noah Chaya playing uh, Dome, who is the, the small one of the group, who's kind of the tech head. You have Noah Summer playing Matt Moore, who is the leader. He's kind of the, the kid that doesn't really realize he's a leader, but he's uh, he's the people, he's kind of the head of the podcast. Uh, you have Austin Riley playing Dawson Perkins, who is the, he's the mouse. He's essentially the kid that says everything the audience wants to say, and then everything the audience probably doesn't want to hear. And then you have Georgia May Lively, who is uh, playing the supporting role of being uh, Ashley Hicks, who is the host of the podcast. And she's kind of, I kind of see her as as the heart that glues the kids together. Um, And one of the things that was the most important for me, um, when I grew up, I grew up with hanging out with guys and girls. And I never treated the girls any different than I treated the guys. And I never saw my female friends having to kind of prove themselves in that environment. So when I created Ashley as the character with the boys, she's somebody that while she's a girl, she can totally hold her own. Um, and George May Lively totally holds her own with these guys. Like she kind of owns the room when she wants to. And and I got very very lucky and kind of typecast with these kids. Like I get lucky. I, I'm very very fortunate when I find a role or somebody for a role. I they are that character. So it's it's not method. It's just who they are. Um, but I, I, and this is going to sound really cliche, but these kids are good enough. That, like if they keep doing what they're doing, man, in, in a year or two, you're going to know their name. Oh yeah. 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 Cause I know, uh, you had your, uh, your proof of concept film out there. You did back in, uh, in 13 and that was, yep. that was pretty impressive. So uh, where can fans find that? Uh, they can go to our, our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash big damn films, uh, or they just want to look up Zcon Proof of Concept. They'll be able to find it there. Um, and what I'll do is I'll post it onto our Facebook page for those of us that are checking out from, from this po- or from this interview. So it's going uh-huh. to be new for some people. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. I know this is looking way in the future, but after this project Let's say a couple years down the road, two or three years down the road, I mean, what do you see yourself continually doing these types of films for charity? Um, I, I have to have, I'm going to say this now, and it's kind of going to be my mission. 
whether it becomes I work for a studio in large portion like Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves gave like 50% of his money from the Matrix movies to charity and to the guys that work on the crew. Um, I think it's going to, it's really something that's really important to me. It's, you know, something that you, it's, it's karma for lack of a better term. Like you're going to get back what you give. I've been very fortunate and very lucky to have people support me and very fortunate and very lucky to have them support me in both not just being in my film, but, you know, helping me with crowdfunding or as we're talking right now, I've got 20 awesome people out in the other room that are, you know, building sets and working on stuff while I'm doing this phone call. It's, it's my responsibility to make sure that I give back in some way, at least minor way, to be appreciative of all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, five, ten years from now, 15 years from now, if I'm still making movies or shit, if I'm making comic books or whatever I'm doing, I'm, they're still going to be giving back. That's, that's the backbone of, I think, who I am. You mentioned comic books. Have you tried your hand at uh, drawing comic books or writing comic books? I did in high school. Like, I won't lie. I'll be that guy that, like, I created comic books and tried to sell them. And, um, and I, I like drawing and I like pen and inking and, and all that other fun stuff. It's, I, I haven't had a story yet that I can get past one issue. So I, until I find that story that kind of gives me a good arc that I think would make a good 6 to 12 or a story that I'll last, I'm, I'm kind of holding out in the comic book world. I'd love to write a comic book someday. That would be like my ultimate dream to write. Like I'll, I'll even take the Blue Beetle, like the you know, left child of the DC universe, and, and write something. That would be awesome. But it's, <laughs> it's one day down the future. Uh, all right. Um, let me ask you this. Yes. You a DC man or a Marvel man? Dude, I'm a Marvel guy. Like I'm, I love <laughs> me some, I love me some Batman. Like I, I will not lie, I love Batman. But if you have to give me a world to live in, I'm, I'm living in the Marvel world. I mean, Marvel characters are messed, they're messed up. Like they're, they're more like normal people than DC is. DC characters are gods. There's the problems that they have is they're a little too perfect. Like, even Batman is like, if the dude got some therapy, he's a billionaire. He really doesn't need to be doing it. But he's, yeah. just, messed, he's just messed up enough that he's going to keep doing it. And he's, he's yeah. going to try to, as a human, compete with these gods like Superman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Um, but in the Marvel world, you have, like, Peter Parker, who the only reason he's Spider-Man is because his uncle got shot. And he lives with the torture every day of that. And you have Wolverine, this guy who just was <laughs> just tortured and, and had stuff done to him and for a long time didn't know who he was. Um, and these are characters that are deeply flawed characters, just like every human being out there. And that kind of, that kind of uh, resonates with me more than the, the squeaky clean of the DCU. Yeah, yeah. So is there a uh, superhero movie in your future to be directing? If if I were to direct any superhero movie, let's see, who would I pick? Um, I would probably do Blue Beetle because he's from Baltimore. I know it's DC, but I think you could get away with doing him really, really kind of edgy. Um, mm. And for those of you that don't know who he is, he was a thief that you know, became a superhero, but he came from the streets of, he came from the mean streets of Baltimore. That's actually in the book. When you first meet him, it was the mean streets of Baltimore. How little did they know <laughs> that they were going to be right. Um, 
I like I'd like the chance to they take like I think that's the other thing that I love about Marvel is when when Iron Man first came out, Tony Stark was not an A-list player in the Marvel universe. Hmm. You know, he he was uh, a character that everybody's like, uh, oh, if he was a trunk, and why are you going to do him? And then they just knocked it out of the park. I mean, if they're doing the same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy, these were not good comic books, but they're taking yeah. the best characters and they're putting them together, and they're you know, I I know that that comic that movie is going to be awesome. Hmm. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I go ahead. I'd lo- you know what? I, here, here, I'm gonna say it now, and I'm gonna probably hate myself later. I would love to do a remake of Howard the Duck. Really? Yes. How would you improve not, it? Uh, one, I think that movie benefits from actually being CGI. But you do it the way that they're doing Planet of the Apes with with motion capture. Mm-hmm. Um, you you take the big '80s cheese factor out of it at all. And and it's the story of an alien in a new world. Like, yeah, that's that's the whole story. Is that how, you know, it's it's no different than ET except for this kid's got personality. Yeah. Huh. And and if yeah. you set it in this, you you set it in this world, in this time, Howard becomes a celebrity because of social media. Hmm. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Yeah, let's you put that out there in the universe. It might happen one day. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, just ask. Just ask. You might it might happen for you. Absolutely. Yeah, is there, is there, go ahead. Yeah, is there a Zcon uh comic book? Are you planning it? Not that yet. Or? Okay. Haven't haven't planned it yet. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that would be that would be fantastic. I mean, uh, the more the more merchandising you can come up with, I think, the better. That's uh, you look at Star Wars, look at the merchandising there, the toys, and all that kind of thing. It's uh, and then you know it popped in my head. And you mentioned the the, the characters do a podcast. Have you made a, a fake podcast or fake real we're, podcast? We're gonna, we're gonna probably start that once filming is done. No, oh, okay. Cool. So the the idea is that the podcast leads up to the actual movie. Wow, cool. That's great. Good idea. Good idea. Thank you, man. <laughs> See, I could be a marketing guy. <laughs> okay, so we're getting ready to wrap up here. Um, so let me ask you, what should fans of this movie do to support Zcon right now? Uh, go to Twitter and at, at ZconMovie.com and, and tweet out that you heard the show. Go to the Facebook page and like the Facebook page. Um, just keep keep up with what's going on with the movie. I mean, every day we're trying to post something new. So there's there's something new from set while everything's going on. And if they really want to support the movie, come out and swing a hammer and help out or be a zombie or, or be a human. You know, we, we could always use uh, more bodies and more faces here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Okay. All right, Michael. Well, this has been a very, very enjoyable interview, and I definitely want to keep up with the movie and keep up with everything that's going on. Maybe next time we'll have you come on with uh, some of the cast. Yeah, and anytime you want to come by and visit the set, you just let me know. You're always invited. Oh, absolutely. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Michael, well, you have a a great night and a great weekend. 
All right, sir. I will talk to you soon. Okay. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. And my dear listeners, let me leave you with this quote from Frank Capra, a great director from the 1940s, directed It's a Wonderful Life. He said, and I quote, there are no rules in filmmaking, only sins, and the cardinal sin is dullness. Good night.